if you didn't know, out in the uh, atrium during coffee time were cookies. And our high school students got up bright and early this morning. They were all here before the crack of dawn. It was black outside still. And they showed up and they made cookies for our community as just an act of service. And that's what they do every so often. And there's a lot of people who help make that come together. But it's incredible that we get to involve our high school students in the life of the church. And that's exactly what we're actually talking about this morning. Uh, this morning we are, we are having a conversation with the next generation here at this church and the young people of Seoul Sanctuary and, and of the church at large. Uh, if you were here last week with us, you would have heard Pastor Jerry uh, give a message on, on cannabis and cannabis use and uh, what that looks like, a conversation framed around the scriptures, but, but opening us up to engage with political dialogue and, and what's going on in our world today, the important things that we actually need to talk about and sometimes the church doesn't like to address. And so everything that we do here, whether it's our conversations about cannabis, whether it's the cookies uh, on, on a Sunday morning, uh, whether it's our children's programming or our midweek life groups, everything that we do here, is through the lens of our vision. And, and it's, it's the idea that us as individuals, but more importantly, us collectively as a community, can come to know God. And not only to know God, but then to take it a step further and to know freedom. And then one step further from freedom to know purpose. And ultimately to make a difference in this world. And that's what we believe and that's what we come together around. We believe that God created you with a purpose and that he created you for a specific reason. And as the church, as the body of Christ, we will come around and support you in identifying what that is and what that looks like in your life. Uh, this morning, we get the opportunity of introducing the Soul Sanctuary Internship Program, which is a 10-month intensive program for young adults aged 18 to 25, which launches in September of 2019. And we will get there. Uh, but our goal together is to go through the scriptures and to understand what the scriptures are saying to us specifically as it relates to raising up the next generation of leaders in the context of the local church. But before we go any further, would you join me in just a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for your scriptures and your spirit-inspired scriptures. And Lord, I thank you that it's by revelation of your Holy Spirit that we are able to understand what it means to us here today. And Lord, as we journey into the scripture, would you reveal to our hearts your will for us? Would you conform our will for our lives to your will for our lives? Father, we thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest this morning. Uh, I love fishing, but I hate taking fish off the hook. I don't like touching fish, but I love the sport of fishing. I mean, uh, this photo up, up here, it took a lot, all right, for me to be able to get my hands on either side of that girthy crappie. I'm also going to point out, this is 16 and a half inches for you fishermen out there. A master, I think, is like 12 or 12 and a half. All right, all right, all right. I mean, I can catch them, but I can't take them off the hook. Anybody with me? No, you're all so tough. All right, you, thank you. The rest of you are tough. Yeah, you, you got it. No, there's something about fish that freaks me out a little bit. 
I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that they're, they're, they're in the water. You can't see them to the last second. I, I, I don't know what it is. But I love, I've come to love the sport of fishing. My in-laws, uh, they have a cabin out in the white shell. My wife and I, in the summer times, we try to get out there. And we try just to, to spend some time, you know, relaxing. So my father-in-law and I will wake up bright and early in the morning. And, and the sun is just coming up. You know, it's burning off the fog. Uh, it, it's beautiful. It's picturesque. It's serene. We get out in the boat. We drive to the middle of the lake. And then we cast the line in. And there's something about just sitting for me in the beauty of God's creation that makes my faith come so alive. In the same respect, there's the, the, the thrill of the hunt, right? There, there are fish in that lake, and I know they're there, and I'm going to do whatever I can to land one. However, when it comes into the boat, it is a different story. I mean, I have tried for years, for years and years to, to, to rack up enough courage to take the fish off myself. Best case scenario, I get the fish into the boat, it flops around a little bit and spits the hook out. You know what I mean? That's easy, because then you're just like, get it out. Now, my father-in-law, who I fish with, he, uh, by, by the grace of God, he has so much patience for me. At the beginning of every fishing season, when we get back into the boat, and we go out, and we fish, and I pull in my first fish, uh, he graciously and patiently and lovingly offers to take it off the hook for me, slowly teaching me what the best way is to handle the fish that I don't injure it, how to slip the hook out, how to kiss it and release it. That's our, that's our, our slogan, kiss and release, we put them back. And he, and he just takes the time to show me. He, he goes ahead of me and teaches me how to do this over and over and over, so that in the hopes that maybe one day I can take off my own fish consistently, right? The hope, maybe, maybe one day. Now, he likes to poke fun at me every now and again, but by and large, he's supportive. And he actually follows in a, in a long tradition of men in my life who have taken the fish off the hook. And probably my wife, as she reminded me this morning, has taken off the fish. My, I mean, my grandfather, when growing up at Lake of the Woods, he had a place out there. We'd go out every now and again. We'd go out fishing, and he would take them off for me. And then my dad, growing up, he would take them off for me. My younger brother James definitely would take them off for me. And my wife, she helps me out too every now and again. But in, in, in my fishing experience, I need that person to slow down, and to patiently teach me the best way to slip that hook out without myself getting hurt. I mean, it's mostly a rational fear. There's some sort of chemical imbalance when I try to, to squeeze that fish. My hand just won't do it. But I need somebody to go ahead of me and show me how to do it. I need somebody who's patient with me to instruct me over and over and over again. And usually by the end of each year, by the end of each season, I can, I can get at least the perch off my own hook, the little tiny ones. Usually. But I need this inspiration. I need somebody who's going to inspire me to do it, encourage me to do it, and instruct me to do it. I need somebody to follow. And the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. And as we, the people of Soul Sanctuary, this community, as we live our lives in the Lord's service, we cannot neglect the important work of inspiring and instructing the next generation coming up behind us. This is not just for those of you who are, are, are 30 uh, or 30 plus and can see a literal generation rising up next to you. 
They said, no, no, this is for all of us. This is whether you are 17 years old or 70 years old. There is a generation coming up behind you. They might still be in diapers, or maybe they are returning to diapers, you know what I'm saying? But, but there is a generation somewhere that you can invest in, that, that you can pour into. And in fact, we as the church hold a responsibility to raise up people in the way that they should go. And this morning, our passages are going to come from the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These are letters written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his pastoral apprentice, Timothy. And we're going we're gonna to dive into their relationship this morning and see what the scriptures have to tell us and what they model to us about relationships between people or between leaders and people bringing up the next generation. We focus specifically on First and Second Timothy. Paul writes two letters to Timothy. They're approximately five to ten years apart. In his first letter, Paul instructs Timothy to head to the church in Ephesus, a church that Paul had planted. Paul had, had got off the ground, and Timothy was now instructed by Paul to go and deal with some of the false teaching that was coming out of the church. In his second letter to Timothy, uh, Paul finds himself in a Roman prison, nearing his death. He is, he's aware that his death is on, on its way. He, he writes a letter of encouragement to Timothy, and he promises him uh, one thing. He says, you will suffer. He said, bad times will come. But in his encouragement, he says, you will persevere. And, and he challenges Timothy to rise above the suffering, to rise above the troubles, rise above the challenges. And, and encourages Timothy then to train up new leaders in Paul's place and in Timothy's own place. And throughout this final letter, uh, Paul urges Timothy, or, or in his first letter, sorry, in 1 Timothy, Paul continually urges Timothy to confront in love. He says, go to the church in Ephesus and confront them. Uh, put to rest some of the false teachings. And the false teachings that were going about was Christians can't eat meat or Christians can't marry. He says, put those to death. He says, go call out on the carpet the elders in the church who are prone to drunkenness and ask them to step down. He says, there's women in the church in Ephesus who are usurping the authority of the church. And he says, go and set things straight. And Paul, Paul empowers Timothy in 1 Timothy to go and to make a difference, uh, following the instruction that Paul had given to Timothy in the first place. And, and nearing the end of his letter in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul says this, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions that we just talked about so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of the foundation of the truth. And Paul's intention here with Timothy is, is very pastoral. He's guiding him into truth. It, it's also very educational as he outlines what's required of God's household, and then tells Timothy to enforce it. A second Timothy takes on a much more personal bent. Paul, being acutely aware of his eventual death, and his death that's coming, he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's on trial, and he knows, he writes to Timothy, it's not going well. And he writes to Timothy again, and encourages him to remain faithful in the face of suffering. To remain faithful to the call of Christ on his life, even when the difficulties pile up. 
He promises Timothy suffering, but challenges him to remain strong. We pick it up, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 2 to 6. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs. No, but, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by adhering to the rules. The, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Paul breaks into metaphor to, to, to explain to Timothy that there are some things going on here, bud, that you need to understand. Number one, you need to empower others to, to, to follow the call of Christ on their lives like you are following the call of Christ on yours and I'm empowering you in that. And, and furthermore, uh, at, at its most basic level, Paul is telling Timothy to train new leaders, to train up people in the things that Paul has been training Timothy, to, to proclaim freedom for the captives, uh, to set the oppressed free, and to most importantly proclaim the good news of the risen Christ. And in doing so, establishing and pastoring church communities that Paul had started. Paul invested into Timothy so that Timothy could then and go invest into somebody else. And that the church could be on solid ground for another generation. And this morning, I have the chance, as I alluded to earlier, to introduce the Soul Sanctuary Internship Program. A 10-month intensive program based out of this church, which seeks to inspire and instruct our young people in this community, 18 to 25, to take a next step in their faith and in leadership in the local church context. Uh, this morning, we'll spend some time looking at the logistics of this and what exactly this plan is. Uh, but we're also going to, 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 to dive into these scriptures and see how they change our hearts, every single one of us, no matter what position in the church or what office you hold. Just like Paul invested into Timothy, and into so many other early church leaders, we must continue the work of inspiring and instructing the next generation coming up behind us. No matter who you are in this place, we have a responsibility to inspire and instruct the next generation. And here's why. First, the church and this church needs it. This church needs it. If we truly care about the mission of Jesus, we cannot be indifferent about our investment into the lives of others. If we truly care about what Jesus has called us to, we must intentionally choose to invest in the lives of other people. When I was in high school at this very church, for five-ish years, I had ten different youth pastors or youth directors over that time. Ten. We transitioned them. And if we're going to talk, to talk totally honestly this morning, some of them were not the best fit for the job. On the flip side, there are members of this community to this day who faithfully raised or, or, or stood to the call of, need, of our youth ministry needing leadership, and they're still in this church today, and they, the spirit-led individuals who faithfully served for a period of time in our youth ministry. 
They took it as a serious priority. And they made a difference in the lives of others. But at the end of the day, there was a great inconsistency in our leadership. And this led to two things. Number one, it led to problems in the volunteer base of our youth leaders. I mean, again, there are people here who served eight, nine, ten years during those years, the early years of Seoul, as youth leaders. Faithfully serving, making a difference and impact in the lives of many. And I could list them. But, but it caused a distrust and a constant transition amongst our group of volunteer people from this community who were attempting to invest into our youth. In the same respect, it caused a, 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 a challenge of distrust and, and of disunity amongst the students when the leadership was switching over constantly. And I look back to those days, and in fact, I look back to my soul sanctuary graduation class of 2010 photo and there's 17 faces of those faces there's one who attends this church of those faces there are only a handful that still serve Christ in fact I would argue that that by their own admission over three quarters of the people in that photo don't identify with Christ in any way the church, it needs to continue the work of inspiring and instructing the next generation. When I graduated high school, the inconsistency of youth, group, I mean, I was faithful to the group, but there was an inconsistency as I went throughout. As I graduated, I began to look for purpose outside of the walls of the local church. And I had my year of looking for purpose, and then a new youth pastor came in. And uh, he asked me to go out for coffee. Hardly knew the guy. He sat across the table from me and he challenged me to come join him for the adventure. To, to, to come. He said he'd call me an intern. Didn't really know what that meant. And that I would just partner with him in ministry in one way or another. And that he would train me. That, that, that he would instruct me, give me books to read. That we would meet regularly. And, and I went from looking for purpose outside of the church and not finding it finding purposelessness and selfishness, to somebody saying, hey, there's something inside of you, and I believe that you might amount to something one day. Why don't you come along for the ride? In, in the first five, six, seven, eight years of Seoul, we, we had about ten youth pastors. In the last eight, we've had two. And the consistency has changed some things. We need people. We need people from this congregation, from this community, who are going to buckle down. And they're going to spend four, five, six years investing into youth. In the context of junior high and moving into high school ministry. We need people who are going to see a child from the preschool right up until grade five. We need people who are willing to, to dive in for the long haul. I mean, we need moms who are willing to come alongside new moms. But we, we need well-established businessmen who are willing to come alongside young entrepreneurs and guide them. We all play a role in this. Now, you might be a terrible people person, and you're like, the idea of me imparting any degree of knowledge is scary. We all play a role. No matter where you fall on the sociability spectrum, we all play a role in this. It, it might not look like you... I mean, if you hate kids and that's not your spiritual gift, you're probably not going to serve in the nursery. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're not going to put you in the nursery. 
But you have a role. You have a gift. As a member of the body of Christ, you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit with gifts to serve the body. And we all need each other. So how does yours fit in? It looks like responding to the call of God on your life and using those gifts, using your time, using your talent, using your treasure to build the body of Christ in this community. To to, to further establish God's kingdom here on earth. The church needs people to invest their time, to invest their talents and their treasure intergenerationally. We need to rise up the younger people. And the Apostle Paul took Timothy under his wing, initially in a parenting relationship. He recognized Timothy's need for a spiritual father. And he saw a gifting in Timothy's life which he called out. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he referred to Timothy as a true son in the faith. And in the passage we read earlier, he referred to Timothy as son. There was no biological relationship there, but Paul viewed Timothy as a son, someone to invest in. He, he recognized, Paul, the need for local church leaders. He recognized the need for people to rise up, take initiative, and invest in the next generation so that the subsequent generations could be on solid ground. When the church comes together, and when we choose to intentionally invest into the next generation, we begin to see fruit where there is longevity in ministry, where we choose to stick it out, Come hell or high water, there is fruit. We begin to see leaders rise up from within these four walls. And they begin to teach others what they've been taught. Who then subsequently pass it on to the next generation. And then they begin to tell others about Christ who don't know Christ. And at the end of the day, God is glorified. I like to call it Piper. We must continue the work of inspiring and instructing the generation coming up behind us. Because our young people need it. Our young people need us to make an intentional, long-lasting, and committed investment into their lives. I'll let you introduce yourself. So I'm Piper, and I go to, I'm in grade 12, and I go to Wildlife Youth on Friday nights, and I'm a part of the cookie and coffee team that you saw out there this morning. And the first time I experienced worship at Wildlife Youth, I remember being completely awestruck by the fact that a bunch of teenagers would worship God with such a raw love for him. And some of that was the raised hands and the partying and the jumping, but the majority of the impact came from the fact that all the teens came to the front together to worship Jesus. I also remember the first time I came to Seoul on a Sunday morning. It was a baptism Sunday, and I had come to watch some of my friends get baptized. Now, I got there, and all of the kids from the youth group walked straight up to the front rows to sit down, to surround my friends getting baptized, and to praise Jesus together. I was so amazed by the fact that even though it was a bunch of teenagers, they had a desire to worship God, and they were supported to do that by the soul community. For the students at Wildlife, hanging out in the back two rows and causing trouble like a bunch of stereotypical high school students wasn't an option. They were encouraged to sit at the front of the church, and they wanted to. They were involved in the worship team and in the greeting team and in serving cookies and coffee. 
The fact that the wildlife youth crew had a visible love for God and were encouraged to participate in the church is one of the reasons I was drawn to Soul Sanctuary. To me, coming to wildlife on Friday nights is the thing that I look forward to most during my week. It's a place where the leaders challenge you to live a life that is, that is live a life for God and not for the world, where they see more potential in teenagers than the rest of the world does. They know we are capable of so much more than living for ourselves, but that we can live for God, and they equip us with the resources to be able to do that successfully. Thanks, Piper. I think it's important to hear it from somebody's mouth who's not mine. Our young people are attracted to challenge. Our young people are attracted to something that doesn't fit the societal norm. Uh, Our young people need to be challenged. They need to see things outside of the box. Uh, They need to know that there is a different way than the base expectation of just going to school. Like, that's it. Like, all we expect of you is just get yourself to school somehow. They, they need to know that this following Christ thing actually works. Our, our young people have zeal. They have zeal, but they need wisdom. Our young people are bursting with passion, uh, but they need someone to guide them. I mean, what Piper didn't say is that she preached over 100 kids this last Friday night. Right? They need people to intentionally invest into them. And those people are you and me. In the book of Numbers, uh, we have the the history of Israel and, and we have Moses. And after being called from God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, he came to a point where he knew his time in leadership was coming to an end. Moses was aware of this. And so we pick it up in Numbers 27, verse 15 to 18. It's on the screens. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses had a succession plan, and it involved asking the Lord to prepare somebody to take his place. Uh, The the step one of Moses' exit plan was prayer. He says, Lord, who do you have in store to lead your people? And and then he confirmed that Joshua was the person that the Lord was pointing him towards. And Joshua was confirmed as the next leader of Israel. But when we skip ahead to the book of Judges, chapter 2, we read about how once Joshua died, and not just Joshua the leader, but once the, the, the generation had passed who had witnessed the works, the deliverance out of Egypt, the delivering power of God. Once they died, they didn't pass it on to the generation below them. And what happened? Joshua dies, the generation dies, and the people forget about God's deliverance. And they begin to worship false gods. They go awry when there was no plan in place for who would lead them next. Our society, again, expects students to achieve the bare minimum. Even young people, even university students. Our our, our expectation of young people is nothing. But can they be challenged? 
Can they find a place where they are invested into, where they are inspired, where greatness is called out of them? I believe they can. I speak from experience that when we call greatness out of our students, when we set a high expectation for our young adults, they live to it and they rise above it. In Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, 14 to 15, uh, in his relationship with Timothy, it's Paul who treated him as a son, but he didn't just keep him as a son. He invested in him. He started bringing him along on missionary journeys. And, and then after training Timothy, he set expectations for Timothy. It's on the screen. You know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in this life is. You, Timothy, know my faith, my patience, my love. You know my endurance. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And what you have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you heard it. You know me, Timothy, is what Paul's saying. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul recognized the need for maturity in Timothy. He says, you know where the standard is, Timothy, so time to live up for it. You know how I've conducted myself when we're out on the road, Timothy. This is the standard I set for you. He said, Timothy, you've seen me do what I do, and you've seen me do it well, and this is the standard I hold you to. You have seen it done. Now do, and now teach others to do. When no one else is willing to invest into the, into the young people in our society, when no one else is willing to invest in them, the church must. We have that responsibility, a corporate, communal responsibility to do so. Our young people need it. And finally, we must continue the work of inspiring and instructing the generation coming up behind us because our scriptures command it. The scripture commands us to be people who make intentional, long-lasting, and committed investments into the lives of others. We look to the scriptures and find a very, very clear imperative. We have a responsibility to raise up a generation underneath us who will carry the torch, the mantle of leadership, and champion the cause of Jesus Christ and his church for another generation. Timothy was the son of an absent father, an uncircumcised Greek in a Christian community. But because Paul chose him and chose to call greatness out of him, to, to, to call upon the giftings he saw in Timothy, and chose to invest in him. Timothy came to co-author some of the epistles alongside Paul. Timothy came to pastor one of the most influential churches in early Christian history. Timothy embodied the role of pastor after being trained as son, and then, and then coming alongside Paul and having expectations for him set. And then he went out on his own and continued to train leaders. Like we read in 2 Timothy 2. Take what you've heard and entrust it to others. Entrust it to reliable people who will be able to be qualified to teach others. This is what Paul tells Timothy. He tells him to, sh to, to, to shape and to train those reliable people. Identify them, Timothy. Find them. They're here. Train them up in the way that they should go. 
in the same way uh, Paul would have trained them. And, and this is what he models. Train them in communication so that they are able to teach the word. So that they are able to, to look at the scriptures and tell people what it, they mean. In Titus chapter 2, women are to be instructed, are to be instructed in sound doctrine. Why? So that they could train the younger women. This is a scriptural mandate that we follow right throughout. Uh, Pastor Jerry in our staff meetings, I mean, this is kind of morbid, but go with it. He asks us in staff meeting, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, what would happen? I mean, hopefully some people would cry. No, no, no. In your job position, if you were not here tomorrow, what would happen? Is there somebody that you have trained, that you have invested in, that if you are, you're taken out of the equation, will they continue on the work of the church? Will they take up the cause of Christ? Will they continue to empower others? My job and your job, wherever you find yourself, whether, whether it's in, in, in a church ministry volunteer, however you, you, you put yourself in there, however you serve here, your job is to find somebody to do your job better than you do it. I mean, the day that the Soul Sanctuary leadership comes up to me and it's like, actually, that person's going to be a lot better youth pastor than you, is the day that I have succeeded. Uh, my wife and I, we run a, we run a business, and, and so I spend a lot of my time reading, uh, you know, leadership and business, entrepreneurial-type books. And, and one common theme comes through them all. Great companies, they don't hire from the outside. I mean, there's exceptions, don't get me wrong, but as a general rule, where do they hire from? They hire from within their own culture, people who get it, Pe- people who have been around, they've been exposed to what it is that the company is trying to do. They understand mission. You know what you can't teach? You can't teach vision. People have to catch it. And when we're able to raise up a generation underneath us, people catch it. They get sick with the vision. They get infected with it. So that all they can do is spew it out. And before you know it, you have a whole section of students who would be a better youth pastor than I'd be. And what do we do? We train them up. We equip them. And we release them for ministry. We release them for the glory of God and his kingdom here on earth. Psalm 71, 17 to 18. It's known as the prayer of the old man. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to to all who are to come. We raise up a generation behind us by investing our time, our treasure, our talents, and joy is brought to our heart, and glory is brought to God. I mean, I can't remember who said it, but I echo them in saying, I want young people to be the pallbearers at my funeral. I don't care if I'm 80 or if I'm 26 when I die. I want 20-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 16-year-olds to carry my casket because I've left some degree of impression upon them. And I believe that we all have the ability within the giftings that God has equipped us with to impact the next generation. I mean, sometimes they might not know your face, but you've left a legacy by serving in one way or another. Third John 
Chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. For I was overjoyed when the brothers came and testified about your devotion to the truth in which you continue to walk. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth, John says. My wife and I, we've been married for a couple of years, and, and oftentimes people will come up to us, and I think this is rude, so don't do it to me. Uh, they're like, when are you having children, right? I think that's rude. I, I don't know. But they, 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 they rag on us. When are you having children? When are you having children? Unless your parents are in-laws. I guess you can ask that then. You're welcome. <laughs> when are you having children? And we look at them and we're like, actually, we have 100 high school children right now, uh, so our hands are quite full. But I echo what John says in 3 John. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I mean, it brings life to me when I see the students that I have chosen to invest in. I mean, sometimes years and and painstaking time. You know, they break your heart. And you're like, why are you doing that? That's so dumb. But when they're walking with the Lord, I have joy. In 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, Paul, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, pretty close. Uh, After all, who is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting? If it's not you yourselves and your presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you are indeed our glory and our joy. For John and Paul, running their race well was synonymous with equipping other people to run their races well. There's this myth in North American Christianity, Western thought in general, right? This autonomous self, that you can do life on your own. That you are, you are isolated from other people and that's okay. That you have a personal relationship with Lord, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The biggest thing is I got, I got young people all the time, young adults who come up to me who've been raised in the church and they hit university and they're outside the confines of youth group and no one ever really told them how to be involved in the church. And they're like, like God just doesn't speak to me now that I'm in university. Um, that's right. Yeah, he makes that switch. No. Wait, have you studied the word in community with other people? Are you, are you a part of a life group? Like, do you wrestle through this with other people? Like, we were created to have communities of faith, not to be silos of, of religion. Quote me. That's cool. I'm going to tweet that. This is important. Faith and genuine community or in genuine relationship with God happens in the context of community. It doesn't happen by ourselves. And Paul and John recognize this. And so what do they do? They spend their lives equipping other people to run their race well. And this is to be modeled. The scripture commands it to us. And what happened as a result? God is glorified as more and more people come to know who God is and come to draw others close to him. He is brought glory. And just as there is a long line of men ahead of me who have helped me slip the fish off the hook, we as the body of Christ, we must continue the work of inspiring and instructing the next generation in the ways of Christ Jesus. Pastor Jerry, would you come up? As a church community here at Soul Sanctuary, We have wrestled with this. This idea that we're talking about this morning, we have wrestled with this for a long time. How do we effectively train up the people underneath us? We're going to do whatever it takes. I mean, we're going to run children well. We're going to run youth well. We're going to intentionally invest. We're going to 
one of the big things that we do at Wildlife Youth, if I can speak that for one second, sorry. Uh, we tell our students who show up on Fridays that they need to show up on Sundays. Youth group ends. The church doesn't end. The church goes on and on and on. It's been going on for 2,000 years. And so as leadership at this church, we've made intentional investments and decisions into investing in young people here. And we've made decisions that cost, and we've made decisions that are important. And you're going to let us know about one of those decisions. We uh, started, you know, 15 years ago, and around that was a whole bunch of younger people sitting around the tables making the decisions, which we call our steering committee board. Uh, we call it a steering committee. So the members of the church are the governing body of the church. In other words, there's uh, nine people currently who sit around, and their job is to facilitate. They're invested in the life of the church. Uh, more than any other type of board or membership usually is. In other words, uh, many of the people who sit around the table currently right now are invested upwards to where it's close to $70,000, $75,000 as guarantors towards the building. So they are invested. The decisions that are made are business decisions for the life of the church. The staff makes the spiritual decisions, but we also work hand-in-hand with the program in which the Jordan is rolling out. The most important thing is, is that we have four values. We have authenticity. In other words, it's really important that what we do, we're authentic in everything, that we're integrous. Uh, integrity is the second one. Uh, you know, we're wide open in all that we do. That we're all about community. You hear it preached all the time. And the fourth thing that we're all about, too, is generosity. That's who we are as a church, and we give away. So over time, what we did is we began to look at our leadership and the governing and how we decided things, and we noticed that there was something missing. There was the young people were missing. So what we did is we, a couple of years back, we created a chair, specifically a two-year position that was invited on, and if you were 30 and under and you're nominated by this body here, um, you would go to uh, be presented towards the steering committee. They would vote somebody in, and so you would have a two-year term for somebody 30 and under. As time has gone on, another request has come before us, and we said, okay, look, we, we need to do more. How do we do more for the upcoming generations? Because, you know, we're getting old. Some of us are getting old. There's going to be a time where we have to step aside. But in the church world, what we don't do is we don't expose people to the governance and, and the work of how a, a church moves, both uh, legally, politically, all that kind of stuff. And so here you have a multi or a million-dollar corporation, so to speak, that is making decisions, and how do you train up younger people? And so what was presented and what has been accepted uh, by our leadership is that we are now starting a, um, a leadership and training program. In other words, we are opening up um, four positions on our steering committee. Now, it's a non-legal position. In other words, they don't have a vote, but they have a voice and they have input. And so our steering committee sat down together. They devised a manual. There's uh, three pillars upon which everything is, is based upon when we're making decisions here as a church. The first one is mentorship and discipleship. How does the decisions we make, how does that encapsulate that? The next one is gifting, both discovering and developing. How are we helping people with their giftings? And the third one is out outreach both lifestyle and community. How are we reaching out? And so based on these elements, we have created this leadership and training program that says, look, we want to hear the voice of the younger generation for the future of this church. And so starting in January, we will allow four 
based on nomination from the staff and, and other people, if you see leadership potential in somebody from 18 to 25, uh, four of them will be selected, preferably two male, two female, brought on our steering committee. They will be matched up with one of our members. Those members, their job is to disciple them, meet with them before a meeting. Uh, uh, once the meeting has taken place, they would meet with them after the meeting to debrief. And so this is all about training people to uh, understand how does something like this work? What is the responsibility? What is the buy-in? And are we doing the best to disciple a younger community for the future? Uh, could you speak to the importance of not having a vote? The importance of not having a vote is that it's, it's a legal um, uh, entity. So uh, the way we run a Carver model, if you go to growth tracks, you find all this out. But we run a Carver model of leadership. Uh, and so that vote is a legal vote. And we don't want somebody between the ages of 18 and 25 stuck with something. So if the day came that none of you, uh, nobody ever showed up to Seoul, nobody gave again, the people who are left on the hook is the steering committee. And they're left on the hook financially. And we don't want to put that pressure on somebody between the age of 18 and 20. Unless, of course, they got $75,000 and they want to say, hey, I'll sign up for that. So, I mean, hey. Hey, you know, it's just, it's just penny cash. It's just dollar bill, dollar bill. It doesn't really matter. But that's the issue. So they have their voice. We want to hear their voice. We want their input. But at the same breath, we're protecting them. Right. Right? And so they will come. They'll sit for a year. And then we'll do it all over again the next year. Awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I think the importance of this, so I, I, I was mentioning our, our leadership here is taking time to wrestle through this. And we recognize the need to, to lay out a plan to invest into our future leaders in this community. We, we have to do it. It doesn't happen by itself. When we leave it to happen by itself, we get 10 youth directors in five years. You know what I'm saying? This is intentional. And so uh, the leadership and training, I think it was like... <laughs> Side note, it's like an a older group of people sitting around the table saying, if we call it lit, it'll attract the kids. Jokes. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> no, but, but, but an intentional leadership in training program where, where not only are they exposed to serving uh, here on a Sunday or in, in the context of this community, there's responsibility that we're instilling into them. Of what, if it, what does it mean to lead a church of 500 people? What does that mean? And we train them. Second thing that us as leadership have pined over, the steering committee and the staff, and have agreed upon, is outrolling the Soul Sanctuary Internship Program in September of 2019. Uh, the idea behind the Soul Sanctuary Internship Program is a deep desire to raise up church leaders who are passionate about the mission of Jesus Christ and of his church, who have a deep desire to see Jesus made known and to see his church thrive, to inspire young people to leadership that they would not have been called to anywhere else, to see them rise to heights that we could or that they could have never imagined unless somebody intentionally went out and called the greatness out of them. It's a 10-month intensive program from September until June for young adults aged 18 to 25, somewhere in that spectrum. And it's an introduction to theological education. It is experience in local church ministry, and it is both Local and global missions exposure. Allow me to explain. We break it down into three categories, which all students will be a part of. 
And the first one is academics and education. We value academics and education. We value a formal education. So we've partnered with Providence University College, and all of our students will earn accredited university credit transferable university credit. As a part of our program, they will leave with a university transcript that they can cash out and go to whatever school they want, use them towards electives or whatever it might be, or they could go to Providence and use those courses towards their degree. It's an accredited program. This is important to us. I mean, I'm not going to have an internship program and, and, and just have all my interns be, be glorified janitors, pay to be janitors. That's not what it's about. It's about intentionally investing and recognizing the fact that in our society today, education matters, and we're going to take our first step towards formal education with all of our students starting in September 2019 through that relationship with Providence University College and Seminary. They can take these credits, they can transfer them out. They also, to all students, will be a, a part of our school of ministry here at Seoul. Our school ministry at Seoul, about once a semester, we teach a class. We just wrapped one up on pastoral care. And our students will be exposed to a wide breadth of teachers, bringing in different perspectives as they grow in their theological education and knowledge. The second category is adventure and missions. This year, for some, will be treated as a gap year, and we recognize that. Where they're, they're spending a year in between university and, uh, or in between high school and university to experience the world. And so together we're going to bond as a team. We're going to unify as a team within the context of the local church to make a difference in this place. And some of those things include, you know, camping out in the white shell. Some of those things include hitting the, uh, the slopes of uh, La Riviere, you know, our big mountains here in Manitoba. Uh, it, it does include, in the same respect, it includes local missions, as we partner with Living Word Temple, our North End campus, for reserve ministry. It also includes partnering with one of our international partners in Eastern Europe, as we take the whole team to go and minister to and with our, our partners overseas. Pre-existing partners that this church has continually gave to, will now see a team from our community come and minister alongside them and do whatever we can to, to, to um, push their churches to greatness and serve in whatever capacity they have us. And we'll take our team of interns. Finally, the last category is advancement and ministry. We will work intentionally about, you know, with our students to develop a Christ-like character. I mean, we could talk about the requirements for elder that, Tim, that uh, Paul points out to Timothy. One of them is people of character. And so we will do what it takes to walk alongside our students in everyday life, pushing them closer to Jesus every step of the way. Grounded in spiritual disciplines, the history and the tradition of the church, they will be partnered with a mentor in the church who continually and intentionally invests into them. And they will then serve and lead in the context of the church within their passions and their giftings. All of this happens in the context of the local church. Their education, their adventure, their advancement happens in the context of the local church. And allow me to just go on one quick um, side note. Is that every year that I've been in youth ministry, which is coming on eight years, which is hard to believe, we've sent students uh, on and out to, to programs all over the world. All over the world. To, to discipleship programs. And I'm not going to rag against them. And in fact, I encourage everybody to take some time 
and, and figure out who they are and ground themselves in Christ. I do. The one thing that many of our programs that we encourage our students to go to lack is involvement in the local church. Youth group stops. Your one-year program after high school that's in a cloister in the woods somewhere stops. The church doesn't stop. So we bring those elements together into the Soul Sanctuary Internship Program so that we can develop leaders in this church and through this church. Our desire is to empower students of Soul Sanctuary and people beyond the scope of Soul Sanctuary to fulfill their God-given purpose. And this is important too. When it comes down to people from outside of this community, there are, there, there are 18 to 25-year-olds who, who are committed in this community who, who I'm confident will take a step into this program. And it will be beneficial. Our first interview for the program happens this week, and it's somebody who doesn't live inside Winnipeg. And, and this is important. There are churches who cannot equip and empower, for whatever reason, one or the other, their young people. We'll take on that mantle as their young people come, and we will raise up their young people and send them back. Soul Sanctuary is, is partnered with the Association of Related Churches across Canada, the United States, Ireland, I think Australia. Essentially, it's called ARC, and it plants churches. It raises up, uh, or, it, or it takes pastors who are ready to plant churches, inspires them and equips them to be able to do so through a rigorous process, and releases them to go start churches where churches need to start. And this is something, my, my deepest desire is to see, uh, to see students come from the internship program and then for us to release them through a partner of ours like ARC and see them plant churches and see them make a difference in this city, to see them make a difference in the province, in Canada, in our world. And I believe that it will happen. It's a tuition program. It costs $8,000 a year. For a 10-month program, it covers your university credit and it also covers your travel fees for all the things that we do for the year. We, though deeply desire, in fact, we need the partnership of this community to get on board. This is not something that, that two or three or four or five church leaders can make happen. This takes a village. This takes our community. And so this is my challenge to you to respond to the scripture that we just came from. In one way or another, you've been given giftings to in, invest into the next generation. How you use them is up to you. And we want to outline a couple options. And today, outside, at right beside the front doors, Mike, who's our, student, or who's our uh, young adult director, he's going to be at the table there. Uh, Lauren's going to be at the table as well. These are just people who are invested into the young people in our community. And they're there to answer any of your questions and also to, to guide you in ways that you could be a part of what we're doing. The first one, and hands down the most important one, we follow in the tradition of Moses when we just pray. We pray for those coming up. And so if you want to just pray with us and partner in prayer with us and leave us your simple email address so that we can send you an email once a month and say, we need prayer for this and we're going to get together and we're just going to ask the Lord to be a part of this. Because it's not something that we can build, uh, build a framework for and just run successfully ourselves if God's not in it. And so we need you to pray with us. We're looking for people to host. We are looking for people who will say, I will take an out-of-town intern and I will board them for a year with no compensation. I will add a member to my family for a year. I mean, they could do chores, but they're not your slave. I'll add a member of my family to a year and empower them in their service in the local church. We're looking for people to host. We're looking for people to occupy. We are looking for those who are business 
owners or business leaders or managers or whoever who say, I have a position for somebody. Our desire is to increase the capacity of our interns, and we want them involved in life outside of this church, right? We want them to be working part-time jobs somewhere. And so if you're like, hey, I got a job for a, for a student, then we want to talk with you. We want to empower our students, not just to make a difference here, but to make a difference outside of these walls too. And then finally, asking you to donate, to consider if you would financially contribute to this program. It is a tuition program. Students are paying for their university, they're paying for their travel, they're paying for their experience. Uh, in the same respect, the depth and the breadth of what we're able to offer our students increases as we have more money. Just like Paul invested into Timothy and into so many other early church leaders, we, we must continue the work of inspiring and instructing the next generation. The generation coming up behind us. Because the church needs it, this church needs it. The young people, they need it. They need to be challenged. They need to be inspired. They need to believe that they can accomplish something more than what our society tells them that they can. And finally, the scriptures command it. If we care about the mission of Jesus truly, then we cannot be indifferent to our intentional, personal investment into the lives of others through the gifts that God has given us uniquely. By partnering with us, this church, specifically in the internship program, or by committing to this church community, by investing your time, your treasure, and your talents, you help us in what leadership here has determined to be the way forward, intentionally investing in the next generation. And so I simply ask you this morning, where does your investment lie? Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to your word to be changed by it. Not to make us feel good. Not to reinforce preconceived notions, but to be changed by the power of your spirit. Speaking to us through your word and changing our hearts. So my prayer is for each one of us in here this afternoon. Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us, that you would change our hearts to be hearts that draw close to you. Lord, that you would change our will from our will for our lives to your will for our lives. Lord, we respond to you in obedience in what the scriptures say. We love you deeply. And we are so grateful for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? In times of old, the one giving a blessing would extend hands, and those receiving a blessing would do likewise. So, simply put, nothing magical, just a blessing. If you would like a blessing this morning, would you extend hands? As you go, community of soul sanctuary, may the Spirit of God come upon you and help you understand that you play an important role in the body of Christ. May you come up to recognize the importance of inspiring and instructing the next generation, no matter how old you are. May you go and continue your journey of knowing God, knowing freedom, and finding purpose. And may you go confidently making a difference in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
Be blessed and we'll see you next week.